everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, my amazing musician friend, really my sister friend, Nicole Nordeman and I have just ventured out on the Moxie Matters tour, which is really, frankly, a cross-country road trip to come see you in person this fall. We have such a special night designed just for you. So we have been laughing so much and seeing so many of you make friends by sharing your stories with one another, with us. Um, Nicole is bringing her remarkable music. I am sharing about how we can rise up in the midst of struggles and pain and overcomes because the, the truth is life can be tough and we know that it is. And we want to encourage you all along the way. We also have a few surprises that we hope will delight your soul as you step into living this just big and beautiful life. So if you haven't already snagged your tickets for one of the stops, if there are any left, you're going to want to go and get them right now. In our sellout cities, we've added a second show. Um, but that is not always possible everywhere. So don't wait, grab your girlfriends and your sisters and your daughters and your moms and your neighbors and go to moxymatterstour.com for tickets. Hey, also check out the VIP ticket package. If you're interested in meeting Nicole and I backstage and get some really cool swag. Um, we love that part of the show. So again, go to moxymatterstour.com because we totally want to see you this fall. All right, let's get on with this week's episode. Hey everybody, this is Jen Hatmaker, your very happy hostess of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Today is bittersweet, you guys, because we are at the very end of our For the Love of Books series and we have had a great, great run from first-time authors to poets to writers who put tons of careful thought into funny and true and hard things. Like this series has just been a balm to my heart and a boost to my brain, but don't you worry. We'll definitely be doing this again because it's been too much fun. And we as a collective community love reading a books uh, too much to let this be a one and done. Anyhow, you might remember that the last time we took questions from you, it involved my parents and you guys brought it. That was such a fun and funny episode. Um, Literally, if you have not listened to that one, you need to go back and find um, the episode with my mom and dad in the parenting series. It is truly hysterical and amazing. Um, But that was such a fun episode for us. We loved fielding questions from you. So we thought it might be great to invite you, my very favorite listeners, for a little Q&A with moi about books and writing and reading and inspiration and all of it. Um, you know, we typically crowdsource the last episode of every series, and this one's just changing it up a little bit. I am the crowdsourced guest. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and you are the interviewers, and you have asked some amazing, amazing questions. So I opened up my email coffers, and lo and behold... You sit, you sent written messages and voice memos galore with all kinds of questions for me. Some about books, some about writing and craft and business, really some about life. Um, and there's tons to talk about. So I thought it was worth dedicating some time to answering your questions at length. So 
to everybody who sent in questions. First of all, thank you for taking the time to do that. I actually wish we would have gotten to every single question on air. Um, but I have all these kids and this, they want to be fed and, uh, they want a mom in the house. And so sometimes I just don't get to do everything I want to do. So here's what's happening today. I am recording and going through the questions that you sent, a lot of the questions that you sent. And because I'm an Enneagram 3, we have divided them into categories. So everything flows and everything has its place because we're just not going to live in a world of chaos. And so don't you worry. Obviously, everything I mentioned today will be in the transcript, as always, which you can find at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab. My partner and assistant, Amanda, is a superstar, and we'll make sure that you can find everything that comes out of my mouth today. So we're going to just dive right in and start. So much stuff coming your way. So buckle up, crew. So first off, several of you asked questions specifically about my books. So I want to take a minute and answer a few of those first and give you sort of a behind the scenes peek, I guess, at some of the thought that went into them and how I have evolved a bit from some of my earlier work um, and just other really fun and meaningful things that you guys took the time to ask. This first question came as an email from a member of our community named Kelly. And she said this, this is Kelly from Wake Forest, North Carolina. I just finished reading seven with a group of ladies and thinking things have changed a lot for you and your family since you wrote the book. How much are those principles still a part of your life? Thank you for asking that, Kelly. I, I like that question. Um, so for those of you who have no idea what she is talking about, because um, a lot of you are kind of new to me, um, and seven was three books ago, and I wrote it in 2010. And it was this experiment, like, I don't know how else to say it, except that we just kept like looking around in our life going, ah, we just have so much. All of our drawers are overflowing. Our closets are overflowing. I don't know where our money's going. We're spending it, but I'm not sure on what. Um, it just felt like the tail was wagging the dog and our stuff, it felt like our stuff owned us, right? That we did not own it. And, um, everything felt a little bit unintentional and wasteful and I could not get my arms around it. And because I am not a person naturally prone to, um, subtlety, right? Like I just don't have that gear. I don't do anything like that. Uh, we came up and by we, I mean me, uh, came up with this idea called seven. And so my family for the, almost an entire year, we took seven areas of excess and we boiled it down to just seven choices. And so we, we picked the areas in our life that felt the most out of control, food, clothes, spending, waste, possessions, media and technology and stress. And so like in every one of those categories, we were just going too much. We have too much of this, too much of it. It's taking up too much time, too much money, too much energy. And we spent one month on every idea and boiled it down to just seven choices. So for example, the first month was food and we ate the same seven foods for a month. Second month was clothes. We wore the same seven pieces of clothes for the month. 
We gave away seven things a day that we owned for a month. We only spent money in seven places for a month. We adopted seven practices for sort of greener, more earth-friendly living for a month, etc. So <laughs> it was pretty extreme, um, which is why Kelly is like, that feels like maybe that's not the way you always continue to live. Well, first of all, it was never meant to be. It was, as I mentioned in seven, it was kind of in the spirit of a fast and so we always approached it kind of like you would a fast. It's temporary. You know, nobody fasts forever. It's, it's, it's meant to sort of jar you out, jar you off high center, jar you out of your comfort zone, kind of like wake you up in kind of an extreme way. And that's what seven was too. Uh, so, you know, obviously those things were never meant to be permanent. I didn't plan to um, wear the same seven clothes for the rest of my life. But to your question, Kelly, um, tons of those principles still govern our life. We learned so much during that year, you guys, so much, not just about our own personal habits, but about the world. So, you know, for every single month that we were really focusing on, I, I did a deep dive. What can I learn here? Like, for example, on clothes, um, I really started trying to figure out what does it mean to have an ethical supply chain, right? Like, what is it, if I'm paying $2 for this shirt, what does that mean for the person that made it? Um, you know, where is it coming from? And so it was way more than just external behaviors for us. It was what is underneath like wealth inequality. What is, um, what is spending look like? What, how is consumerism affecting our family and our culture and the whole world? And so it was a lot, like it was a lot, no joke about it. And so those are the kinds of things that once you learn, you can't unknow. And once we really started paying attention, um, to, to what consumerism looks like and how it affects us and our neighbors and our neighbors on the world, we just could never shake it. And so, um, a lot of those principles that we, it changed the way we spend on a permanent basis. Um, it absolutely changed the way we waste and recycle and it changed the way we, what exactly we decide to buy. And, um, you know, sort of what matters to us, what we have, what we pay attention to, um, change the way we think about our neighbors. And, and so we still have a lot of those in place. And I chronicled all of my failures, my personal failures. And, um, it's not just quite as serious as it sounds. It's called seven, an experimental mutiny against excess. Um, and, and it has a, a, um, workbook too. If you want to do it with your small group or your friends or, um, your Bible study or whatever. So anyhow, thanks for your question, Kelly. All right. This is a call in question from Joan. Hi, this is Joan from Chicago. And out of all your books, I'm wondering which one was the hardest for you to write and why. Thank you. Super, super question. Um, which was the hardest to write. Let me think about that for a second. Um, first of all, I have never ever discovered that writing was easy. <laughs> so I'm still waiting for which of the books was easy to write. Uh, does that ever happen? Do I ever get that experience? Um, I am not sure. I, my suspicion is that, um, well, I have two answers. If, if I'm if, if, you've, if you'll grant me two different answers. The first one is this. All the very first books I wrote, which um, I wrote a whole bunch of books at the beginning of my career that exactly nobody read. And thank goodness. 
but like nobody. And so I put my head down and worked really, really hard. And I wrote in a really concentrated fashion. So I wrote my first five books, which one of them was a book and the next four were studies, but they were equal to length in a book. So it was kind of the same scope of writing. I wrote all five of those in two years. And that was when my kids were, um, two, four, and six, three, five, and seven. And it was so hard. And, and so add to the fact that I was in the most demanding season of parenting that I've experienced yet. But additionally, I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I just did not know what I was doing. I didn't know how to pace myself. I didn't know. Um, I, I was still discovering kind of best practices as a writer. I, I had no sense of rhythm because I had too many kids and they were all little. Um, and so I was, and I was kind of like a stay home mom at the time. And so I, I didn't, I didn't have really good practices developed either. I wrote, I don't honestly know when I, when I think back to those years, I have no idea how I got those books written or when I wrote them. I don't remember. It's a blur, but I do remember how hard it was. Um, I remember just, this crushing sense of like the ticking clock and the crying babies. And at the time my husband had a very demanding job and he was working 70 plus hours a week. And so he was gone during the day and most nights. And I, it was, that was so hard. And I was so thrilled to be welcomed into the um, community of authors. I was so grateful for a shot and remain grateful. Um, I was just so flabbergasted that anybody was going to let me write a book that might eventually end up on a shelf, regardless of whether anybody ever read it, which they did not. But that, I think that just overrode everything else that it overrode my underdeveloped skill set. I mean, you guys, when I go back and read some of those paragraphs, I just cannot, I just cannot, I, I, I'm sorry, world. I'm sorry. It was all just, it was just overwrought and trying too hard. And, oh, I didn't have a great sense of literary rhythm yet. And I was also writing in kind of a template that I thought I needed to fit, especially with the studies. Um, I, I thought the studies had to look and feel a certain way and I didn't exactly know how to write in any other container. And so I can see that I am really forcing myself into a pre preset model. But so those first, that first block of books that were so concentrated at such a difficult time in life when I didn't know what I was doing for sure. Um, and then I hate to go back to what I just talked about, but the other one would be seven because seven was so, um, it was so research heavy. You know, I, as I mentioned, I wasn't just doing the experiment. I was learning. And so my bibliography for seven is so long because I was trying to learn from experts and people who cared about the earth and supply chains and our industrial food system and mental health and, um, financial sort of accountability. I mean, there was, it was just like drinking through a fire hose. And so at the same time that we're going through this pretty, uh, intense life experiment, I'm also essentially acting like a researcher. I mean, I'm constantly reading and learning and trying to condense that information and make sense into the book. And so that one was just labor intensive in every way, both in life and in the writing process. And so, um, however, it still remains 
that writing is my favorite thing and I am so grateful to do it. And, um, who it's hard. Yes. But what is it? Everything good. Everything worth anything is hard. So, um, thank you for your question, Joan. Okay. Here's another write in question. This one is from Lauren. She said this, hi, Jen, this is Lauren from Haddonfield, New Jersey. And my question for you is, what do you think was the funniest thing you ever wrote about in one of your, <laughs> in one of your books? Oh my gosh. What a great question. Oh, I love that. So first of all, you guys, if you've never read my books, if you're just a podcast listener and you've not um, dipped your toe into my world of books, um, uh, you should just know that I love to be funny. I mean, I really do. I love to be funny. I love to make you laugh. I love to be entertaining. I like that kind of writer. Like I like reading people who make me laugh. I like, I, I just find humor just so wonderful and I don't think it's unimportant. And so I do, I include a lot of funny stories, even in really serious kind of books. So just when you think the content might be pretty, intense. I just constantly throw in all these just absurd stories and I love to spin a yarn. Um, I think maybe one of the essays that, uh, I loved that literally made my own self laugh out loud. You know, if you make your own self laugh, you might have something, um, was in for the love, which was not the last book, but the one before it. And I wrote an essay about turning 40. <laughs> and it makes me laugh to this day. Uh, it makes me laugh to think about it, um, about all the things that happened right around the 40 mark. And I loved writing it. And so it still makes me laugh when I think about it. I love that essay. Um, I also wrote an essay that I loved in Moxie, or of Mess and Moxie. I always call it just Moxie, but my last book of Mess and Moxie about exercising which also made me laugh on upon rereading when I, when I read it to myself, I laughed about it, um, about my like love hate relationship with exercise and what it looks like to be a 40 year old who exercises. Anyway, I don't know. I, I love hearing what makes other people laugh. So that is always one of my favorite oars in the water with my readers, um, is finding out what they loved. Um, also big fan favorite was also one for the love called fashion concerns. So that one, <laughs> don't read that one on a plane. All right. Here is a call in from Holly. Hi, Jen. This question is from Holly, Edmond, Oklahoma. What can you tell us about the different obstacles you have faced recently in writing your new book, baby? And how have you overcome or how are you overcoming them? Okay. Hey, Holly. Um, thank you for asking that. And I appreciate that really like sensitive question. So I am writing a book right now. In fact, I closed it out just 10 minutes before I jumped on to do this podcast. And so I am really like in the, I'm in the weeds with that one right now. And, um, here's what's interesting about this book. Um, and this will not come as any surprise to any of you who have been with me for some time. We've got some longevity together. Um, I, I would hope this is true for me forever, but, but definitely I've just had, I've just gone through development in the last, I'm going to say five years. That's pretty, um, pretty big deal. Um, I've had some sort of transformative 
um, spiritual changes in my life. I'm, I'm learning. I am asking new and sometimes really hard and definitely uncomfortable questions. Um, uh, just kind of rattle in the cages a little bit, honestly, of basically the, the spiritual template I was handed that I grew up in, um, that I definitely absorbed. And then ultimately started churning out my own self. Um, and just the longer I lived as an adult, the more exposure I had to the world and to people, um, the different kinds of teachers and leaders and thinkers that came into my life to lead me into absolutely uncharted frontier for me, because frankly, my life up until not all that long ago was pretty homogenous because it's kind of the same types of thinkers, the same types of ideas, the same types of people, um, largely, uh, surrounding me. And so, um, a lot of things challenged what I believed and what I thought I understood and, um, systems that I had never really thought to examine or question. And so I've sort of lived that, I don't know if it's a transition that might be a little extreme, but that processing really, I've just been, I've processed all that out loud and in public. Actually, I think a lot of us are doing that, um, but I am in an interesting position where I have a handful of um, more eyes and ears on me. And so that has just been a whole deal for the last few years for me, um, both very wonderful in nature, in life, and, and what it has meant in my, in my actual lived world, and also challenging um, because, I mean, nobody likes change, especially from their leaders. So I now find myself writing a book in a little bit different headspace. And, and frankly, not just different headspace, but different public space. Um, I think that is, gosh, let's just call it well-documented. Can we say that? Well-documented. Anytime somebody says something to me like that, I'm like, you know what? Just Google me. <laughs> like, I don't have time to, it's too much. Just Google my name. Um, and so I sat down to write this book that I'm writing right now. And I said to myself, I will be true. I will be true. Weirdly true. Um, and, and that's interesting for me to say, because one thing that people have always told me is that, oh, you know, one, one thing we like about you, Jen, one reason we come to you is you're like real, you know, you're authentic. And that's true, but not exactly. Um, if that's only a little bit true, I, I, I have thus far been real and authentic to a point, the point that I want you to see. Um, and the point that is still beneficial to me, and that's just honest, where uh, I'll get right up to the edge of it. If I go past it, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose something. And so I kind of have this sense of where to stop and how to dial it back. But, um, uh, that is a hard way to live and it feels fractured. And I feel like pieces of me are very disintegrated in that, um, I'm just not, I'm not really all the way there. I'm just telling half of it. And so on this book that I'm writing now, I just said, I'm not going to do it. Like I'm going to show up faithful and whole, and I'm not going to try to please some imaginary group that won't ever be pleased. I am just going to tell it straight. And so, um, I don't know how that's going to go. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know how it's going to go, but I think it's the best thing I have to offer. And I'm, I'm going to share everything I've learned in the last few years and what, uh, it taught me, what was hard, um, what I lost and what I gained. 
and how that se- that season has instructed me. And so um, this one feels real, like already, guys, I'm reading some paragraphs that I've written and I'm just thinking, okay, I'm just going to leave it in until somebody, <laughs> until I get in trouble. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. It's a little bit new frontier. Um, but I can't wait to give it to you. And I, I can't wait to discuss it with you. And what my community is telling me is that a lot of us are here and that a lot of us have these questions and a lot of us feel estranged in some way. Some of us feel like spiritual orphans and we're not sure how to make sense of the church we see with the one we thought we understand in scripture. So anyhow, I really appreciate your question, Holly, and I would love it. If you would just pray for me as I write this, that I am faithful and that I am obedient and I don't let fear um, guide me, but rather truth. So thanks for that question. Here is um, a call-in question from Amy to wrap up our questions about books, and we'll move to another section. And this is what Amy said. Hey, Jen, this is Amy from Nashville. So you took my dream trip up to Chicago earlier this year to go to cooking school, and it looked amazing. So now I've got to ask, when's that cookbook coming out, girl? Oh, my gosh, Amy. If I have heard that once, I have heard it a thousand times. Oh, I love food so much. It's one of my core life values. And so thank you for um, sharing that space with me. I am just not sure, Amy. And that is a fact. I, I can just tell you that I love, I don't just love food. I love food writing. And uh, if you've read my last two books, um, I managed to talk my publisher into letting me put in some recipes and I don't know how to describe the recipes, except they're long and rambly, and they're almost like a stand-up comedy bit. I like to write recipes funny, if you can imagine such a thing. Um, I don't know if that's a real thing, but it is in my world. Um, and I have so many food memoirs and autobiographies of chefs, tons of cookbooks. I just, I'm drawn to that kind of writing. I find it, it's, I, I like writing that is centered around the kitchen and the table and hospitality and and. I think food is memories and I think it is nurturing. There's just something nurturing to me about food and cooking and everything that goes with it. So having said that, I honestly don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know if people buy cook a cookbook for me. I, I don't know. Like, I'm just not sure if there's a place for that. Um, for me, if it, if that ever happened, if I ever got a chance to write a cookbook in the way that I would want to do it, which is would have to be considered like part cookbook, part comedy, part uh, memoir. I'm not really sure. I don't know if that category exists, but it would be so fun. So anyway, if I ever write a cookbook, if my publishers ever green light that for me, then I will send you one, um, Amy from Nashville, for asking me such a great question. Okay, moving on. So I get asked a lot about the craft of writing, and I'm so nerdy. I could talk about this for a thousand years, like how I identify something's worth writing about, how I put together my stories, how it feels to be vulnerable about my life, all that. Um, I also get a lot of questions about how to navigate the business of writing, which is a deal, dealing with publishers, getting a book to print, all that getting the word out about it. So I want to take a few minutes to talk with you guys about some of those questions. Okay. So here is a call in question from Amber. 
Hi, Jen. This is Amber from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I actually stole this question directly from your post about asking these questions, but I thought it was so good and I wanted to know the answer. So the question is, what's the best money you have ever spent as an investment in your writing career? Thanks. Oh, that's a fabulous question. Um, I decided to write my first book when I was 29 (laughs) and I had babies that had just turned two, four, and six. And I knew exactly negative things about any of it, writing, publishing, any of it, like literally I had negative knowledge. Um, and so, uh, this is money spent, although it wasn't my money. Um, somebody paid my way to go to a Christian writers conference and they would have had to have done it. I could not have afforded that money. Uh, I think honestly, I believe it was $400 for a five day conference. And for me at the time, it might as well have been 4 million. Like that was just, we were just not, there wasn't, there wasn't 10 extra cents in a week. And so somebody paid for me to go to a writer's conference and it's not, it's not a small thing to say that that changed my life. Um, not only is that where I made all the connections to get initially published, which I did. Um, but I learned so much. I sat under a writing teacher for three hours a day, at least. And this was his career. This is what he taught at the university level and, and taught to us and taught us about the craft of nonfiction writing. It was the most fascinating, exciting, wonderful instruction I'd ever heard. I filled a whole notebook of notes, stuff I still use to this day. Um, and then of course being surrounded, that was my first time to ever be surrounded by writers, aspiring writers, published authors, um, agents, acquisitions, editors, um, publishing houses. I mean, I had just never been in such a world and like right this minute, I can feel it in my bones, the way I felt being there. It was like, oh, these are my people. Like, this is my path. This is possible. This is a thing that can actually happen. And, um, so I left that conference, not only having been very like instructed in the craft of writing in a very concentrated way, but with connections that I'm still using, I am still to this day using and friendships that have lasted now all this time. And so, um, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I cannot recommend immersing yourself in an environment like that, like at a Christian writers conference enough. Um, and for me, it was my ticket in. So thank you for that great question. Um, here is a written question sent in by Ashley. She said, hi, Jen. My name is Ashley. I'm a 30 year old mom, wife, and social worker from Washington state. I've written all my life and my goal is to write a book. But it seems like the only way to make that happen is with a social media presence. I feel weird trying to build a platform as an influencer, quote. I just feel like, who me? Why me? Any tips for someone who wants to put themselves out there, but also has no idea how to get started? It's a really good question, Ashley. And oh my gosh, you are not alone. Oh my gosh, you are not alone. This whole like build your platform thing. It can be so suffocating, can it? Absolutely suffocating. And I want you to know that me and my friends who are also also authors, we like commiserate about this all the time. 
absolutely all the time. It just, it can feel kind of soul crushing because now in today's world of the internet, it is positively assumed that you are going to have some sort of pretty robust social media presence to help sell your book. Where back in the day, those two things were never intertwined. In fact, a lot of writers are kind of like cerebral and even introverted and kind of shy, if not downright weird. Right. And so often, even just the craft of writing does not necessarily translate to the charisma expected on social media. And so I get the dilemma. I mean, I absolutely do. And, um, so this is, I think why we see the meteoric rise of so many books or authors that are like, okay, but their personality is so like dazzling and, and it's, it's such like an onslaught of, of social media work that it, you can kind of see where that gets weighted. Um, and so this is just not a small question and it's, and it's not unfair to ask. And so it's, it's complicated too. And this is only going to be a medium sized answer, but the best thing that I can tell you to do, and I wish there was a, like a shortcut to any of this. And I don't believe that there is. Um, I think that a pretty strong online community is built pretty slow, um, more or less. And there's always exceptions. And, and some of those exceptions are for good reason, but for the most part, a community that is strong, that is like deeply rooted, that has this sense of connection and loyalty built into it, um, is, is a slow, it's a slow build. And so I'm sorry to say that my best advice is simply write very faithfully where you are and with what you have. And so, um, put out beautiful, wonderful content to the readers that you have, to the followers that you have, to the friends that you're already connected with online. Um, good writing I find has a way of getting itself out into the world. Um, good writing begs to be shared. And that is one upside to the social, to, to social media. And so it's, it's such shareable content. And so when you consistently like serve your reader with beautiful writing, with you're saying something that matters, you're saying something important, you are being honest and true and wholehearted. You are bringing yourself to it. That matters. And that counts. And it may not be as fast as you want, but you will never regret that faithfulness. You will never regret um, putting your head down and saying, I may have today literally a fraction of the readers I might have in 10 years, but I'm going to treat them with as much care and as much commitment as I, as I would if I was writing to arenas full of people. And so um, do your best work right now. Don't save it. Don't hold it back. Don't think, uh, I want to wait until my platform's bigger to really bring out the big guns, but rather absolutely show up full hearted with your best energy, some of your best writing, your best ideas and do it now. And there's just something so honorable in that and trust that your readers that you have, um, will be so served by what, by your material that they will share it. They will stay, they will help you sort of develop a community, um, that you will be so grateful for, and they will be so grateful to that you treated them like that, um, sort of at this phase in your career. So keep going, keep going, keep 
going and be able to look back in 10 years and 15, even 20, and be very, very proud of the beginning portion of your story, right? That you didn't, um, sort of half-heartedly do anything, but that you worked with all your might and energy and giftings from day one, and you built something that was true. So great question. And thanks for asking it. Hey guys, I wanted to follow up on something we've been talking about these past few weeks while we've been in this very, very amazing for the love of books series. You've probably heard me talk about author school and I hope you were able to get signed up, but maybe the timing wasn't right. Maybe you're right on the cusp of that big leap into pursuing publishing, but you feel like you just need to do the time and earn your stripes first. So if that's you, there are two great options from the same team behind author school that I want you to consider. The first is the Clumsy Bloggers Workshop, which is a six-week course that will teach you how to start your own blog, share your words, and grow your own community. Then there's also Author Blog, which is a resource to help writers like you design a website specifically for authors, whether you're a fiction or nonfiction writer. Their websites are built to help you share your words, grow your platform, and sell your books. So you can take advantage of both of these incredible resources by going to authorschool.com slash hatmaker. So when you use that link, just for our For the Love podcast listeners, there's also a built-in 10% discount for both of those services. So you'll get a little love from us to start you on your way to realizing your writing dreams because you guys know what I always say. There is always more room at the table. If you have a dream to write, if you have a story to tell, it's time to tell it. I believe in you. I believe in your work. I believe in your potential. So visit authorschool.com slash Jen Hatmaker today to take advantage of these two phenomenal services for authors. Here is another question, a call-in question from Sarah. Hey, Jen. This is Sarah from Norfolk, Virginia. I have a question for you. When things are kind of boring, normal, status quo, and not in the really nice comforting sort of way, um, what do you do to reinvigorate? What do you do to kind of shake things up um, and just bring some life back into either your work or your space or a relationship? What do you do? Thanks. Hey, that is a great question, Sarah. Um, I also appreciate the honesty because you know what? Let's just be frank. Not every day in our world is some like starry eyed, dazzling mountaintop. Like those are rare. <laughs> those are the rare days, like the victory days when it, everything is magical and it all comes together. And it, that is just not normal. Like the truth is most of life is ordinary and sort of menial and kind of right in the middle of the bell curve. And so, um, to some degree, I like that. Um, I like that there is a sense sort of of stability that isn't always super high or super low. That's, um, never really been my experience in, in real life. Um, but to your point, it, it can get you stuck. I know what you mean. You can kind of get stuck right there in the middle um, of just status quo. And so um, I think that's really fair. One thing that's always really shaken me out of that 
in more than one way, um, is to make sure that I am both, well, let's see, this might have three prongs. Reading, um, listening to, and like in real life connecting with fascinating people. So other people inspire me. Um, their work, their ideas, um, sometimes their craft and talent and gift. Like I have just been straight up inspired by other writers before. So their genre isn't necessarily my genre, but as I read the incredible care that goes into the work that they do, I am like, this girl is killing it. Like it gives me fresh passion to be good at what I do. Um, sometimes it's their ideas and they are showing me a corner of the world that I've never experienced before, or they are teaching me or leading me or stretching me or challenging me. Like not, that is so good for me. I love for someone to rattle my cage and to say, maybe this one way that you're perceiving this or experiencing it or even interpreting or understanding it isn't the only way. So of course I hate that at first, but then I love it. Um, so I like to be challenged. Um, and then finally, I just, I mean, listen, as a writer who spends the majority of my time in an office in the pajamas that I slept in with my glasses on and a dirty bun on my head, I got to be around real people. Um, that is, that is a, that is a non-negotiable for me. And so making sure that I am surrounding myself with great folks, um, interesting people, really important conversations. So I'm having face to face with somebody, not just on Twitter, right? All this jars me out. It, it, it gets me off of high center. It's like, okay, come on, you back to it. And I come up with fresh ideas and fresh stories, right? I mean, I have said this before, but I cannot just write a good story if I am not living one. So eventually it'll all run dry. Eventually I'm going to run out of stuff to talk about if it's all just old news. So I need fresh stuff in my life and people are the way that I best experience that. So, um, so if you're stuck, I suggest calling the most interesting random person you can think of and inviting him or her to coffee, right? Like I just want to hear from you and hear your story or you and your family come over for dinner um, or whatever it is. Like people will always inspire us every time. So that is exactly what I do. Thank you for that. Okay, here's another um, written question from Stephanie. She said, Hey, Jen, this is Stephanie in Raymore, Missouri. It's my birthday today. Happy, happy you. Um, and my goal for this year is to finish the first draft of my first book and begin pursuing publication. I have two boys, <laughs> 15 months and two weeks. <laughs> what strategies can you give for writing with two under two? Well, God bless America. I mean, just God bless. And if you were listening earlier, you know that I actually understand this. I wrote books with toddlers and preschoolers and kindergartners. Uh, so this is very, very familiar. Um, so here's, let me say this straight up. There is nothing easy about this. So there, I'm not going to give you an answer where you're like, well, there, now it's easy. This, first of all, I commend you for your goals. I mean, just commend it. Uh, I did the exact same thing when I was writing my first book, which by the way, nobody was asking me to write. 
not one living soul, but I just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram three. I mentioned it earlier. I don't know how else to do. So, um, I started writing it in April and I didn't know what the rules were. So I just said to myself, I am going to finish this by the end of August. That's here's my deadline. And I, I am imposing it on my own brain and then I obeyed myself. And so it is possible um, to give yourself a sense of structure and deadline and organization, even when your life is absolutely chaotic, which yours is so chaotic. You have a two week old, like, I don't even know what to say. Um, a couple of things that got me from ideas in my head to words on a laptop during that season of my life, um, is that I, I negotiated one day a week, <laughs> negotiated with Brandon, my husband, um, who had a, a very, very, very demanding job at the time, but we just figured it out. So I, I had one whole day, um, where I could leave the house with my borrowed laptop and write. And because I think mother was, or uh, what's the thing? Necessity is the mother of invention. There it is. Because it was so necessary because I didn't have the luxury of blowing any of that time off because as I no other time, um, but I just, my brain like figured out, it was like, let's get to business. And so I was really efficient on that day and I used it well. Um, when I needed some more time, but it, I couldn't figure out how to manage that with Brandon's schedule. Um, I had a very good friend, uh, my girlfriend, Trina, you guys have heard me talk about her a million times and have written about her and everybody. We traded kids one day a week. So she had littles, I had littles. Um, and, and maybe it was just a morning. I can't really remember the details, but we traded. So I would have all of hers and she could like do really fancy things like go to, uh, the grocery store or clean her toilets. Um, and then vice versa. So we swapped. That was absolutely free. It cost me nothing. Good thing. We had no money. So, um, I didn't have also the luxury of, uh, of nanny or paying a babysitter all the time or full-time daycare. We just, that wasn't a thing we could afford. And so we had to like figure it out. Um, and then last, I remember writing a lot at night and I am not a nighttime writer. I will tell you right now, um, I am a morning writer. And so that was just simply again, necessary. That's when I had at the time, the babies were all going down around seven 30 and there was still a pretty decent chunk of the day left, even though I was absolutely wiped out like you are too. Oh my gosh. Um, but that was my dream. Like that was my dream to do it. So I did it. Um, and you can too. And I will just tell you that you'll be really proud of yourself one day when you look back on this season where it seems like the dumbest time ever to decide to write a book, but that you did it, that you managed it, that you birthed babies and books at the same time, because women are incredible. That's why women can do it. Like we have a gear that we can tap into that is pretty incredible. Um, and so I want you to know, um, Stephanie, that I am cheering you on girl, cheering you on, put those fingers on that keyboard and get after it. Love it. Um, here is a call in question, a really thoughtful, thoughtful one from Trish. Hi, Jen. This is Trish Farrell from Onstead, Michigan. My husband and I run a camp and retreat center. Sometimes working together that much time is really difficult. My question is, how do you and your husband do it when you have to work together on a project and put in a lot of together time? 
I'm dying laughing. <laughs> oh, I almost wish Brandon Hammaker was here so he could uh, help me weigh in on this because Brandon and I both essentially work from home. Um, I mean, I, I positively do and he mostly does. And so, um, it is a lot of togetherness, especially, and I don't know how you are Trish, but, um, Brandon and I are wired differently. We are, we process differently. Um, he is a verbal processor, which means any half form thought in his head is going to start coming out of his mouth hole. And, and then he's going to keep talking until he gets to the thing he was trying to sort out, right? Like he's just going to process it out loud. And that's how his brain works. I'm the exact opposite. I'm an internal processor and I, um, in a delightful twist of working from home in the same space as your husband required dead silence to work. (laughs) Like I can't even have music playing. Um, and so I just, I, I get really focused in, this is my point. I get your question. (laughs) (laughs) I get your question. Um, what has helped us over the years, knowing that we both work closely together, which we do, like we started a church together and we're both authors and we're both teachers and speakers. I mean, we have a lot of overlap in our life the same way that you do. Um, is that it's, it's done us a world of good to talk out loud about what we need. So like when Brandon comes into my office and I have a, this is super helpful. (laughs) I have an office at my house that has a door. So yay for that. Um, but when he comes into my office and he's, he starts talking and he wants to work something out, it's not fair for me to just sit there and get mad because I'm in the middle of a paragraph and that like absolutely disrupts the magic. I mean, boom, it disappears like a cloud. Um, and so that's cause he's not trying to be, he's not trying to sabotage my work. He's not trying to be rude. He's not trying to be mean. This is just the way he does. And so when I tell him in advance, I need the next three hours with like no interruptions. I just, I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a project. I'm on a task. I need to put my head down and get it done. And then I'm going to be available. He's like, Oh, okay, great. So we, we have been able to avoid a lot of hurt feelings or, um, resentment or like even passive aggressiveness by just saying up front, this is kind of what I think I need right now. Maybe a little space or like conversely, Brandon can say to me, can I have your attention for 20 minutes? Can you, can you listen to this thing and help me work this through? Great. Yes. So then I can close my laptop. I know what he needs for me and what he's kind of wanting and expecting out of me and that I can provide. So we just do better when we figure out what it is we need. And we say it pretty clearly on the front end, not the back end when we're just pissed. (laughs) Right. When I'm like, if you don't get out of my office with your words, I'm going to murder you. Um, or, and he's always frustrated. Like I can tell you're not listening to me and I'm not, he's right. Cause I was in the middle of something and I, I don't switch gears really easily. And so anyhow, I don't know if that's a great example, but also, Oh, let me say this one last thing before we move on. Um, any, um, like overload on togetherness, which is a real thing is solved for me by spending time with my girlfriends. <laughs> um, I love Brandon. I like love him and we've been married for 25 years and I want to keep being married to him, but uh, he cannot do everything for me. Like my girlfriends fix a lot of that. So just breaking up that constant togetherness with some different female energy around you, um, with some friend time that isn't so like 
in the trenches. Oh my gosh. There's nothing better for my mental health than, than time with my girlfriends. Um, so do not forget to call them, even if they just come over and sit on your porch, which is literally what me and my friends do on the regular. So, um, super, super good question, Trish. May God have mercy on your marriage and on all this beautiful togetherness that you get to experience, which is sometimes just an opportunity for growth. Okay. Uh, moving on. So a lot of you ask, a different set of questions. What inspires me? Um, what am I reading? Um, am I inspired from what I see happening in the world, from my family and friends, from travels, or generally asking what moves me to write? What moves you to write? So um, you guys asked some really intriguing questions about this. So here we go. Here's the first one written in an email from Sarah from Oswego, Illinois. And Sarah asked, what inspires you to write? How do you know how to speak to the soul of so many of us. That is so nice. Thank you, Sarah. What a nice thing to say. Um, what a lovely thing to hear. I have said for some time, I am just like, I am moved and inspired by people. And that is just a short answer. Um, I was talking to a girlfriend one time who does kind of similar work to me. She's a spiritual leader and, um, she's a writer and the speaker, just the things, the stuff that I do, she does too. Um, and we're just different in a lot of ways. We're good friends, but we're very different. We process things differently. We even interpret things differently. We sort of approach our work differently and, and which we actually love this. This is something that we, we appreciate in our friendship, but I was telling her one time, and this is reduced. And if you want to poke holes in this, it's too easy to do. So just don't overthink this listeners. Um, but this is just, just kind of a very broad stroke for how I see it. I told her, I said, you know, I think when Jesus said that all of life boils down to basically these two important ideas, right? Like love God and love people. You know, he said, first, love God with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there, there's your life. There's your life plan. Those are the two things that matter. And I was telling my girlfriend, I said, I think in the big, like two pillar life that Jesus described, I'm like, you are just the most identified and, and the most connected with the love God piece. And I am the most identified and the most connected with the love people piece. Obviously, we both have both. Um, there is no separation here of the two. I'm just saying in out in the way that we are geared, she leans that way and could be very like cerebral and and study oriented and you know and I lean toward people. And so I write for you and I care about you because I love you. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it. When you tell me your stories online, when you, when we sort of come together as a community around ideas and pain and, and good work and things that we care about, things that we share or struggle through, it's just precious to me. I mean, it's just so precious to me. And, and I care, <laughs> like I care. I have big dreams for women. I have big dreams for our community and what we can do in our neighborhoods and in the world together and for the church. And so, um, I'm inspired by you. I mean, I hope you can receive that as an answer. Um, cause that is the truth. In fact, that is literally the way that I formulated the outline of the book I'm writing right now went through almost a year worth of online conversations that I've hosted with you, um, and our community 
in the various places that we host online conversations and mind it. Like I asked the question, where does, where's our community energy? Where are we concentrated? What are the things that keep capturing our attention together? What, what are the, where's, where's the wind at our back? Which discussions really were deep and rich and important and good. And that became the outline for what I'm writing because I care about you. So there you go. Um, and thank you for saying that nice thing. Here is a write in question from Lori. She said, Jen, what books or resources did you read that caused you to change your stance on LGBTQ issues? Do you have plans to write a book on the topic? Um, great question. Um, and thanks for asking. I, I, I can say for us, this was a very long road in a similar direction. It wasn't just one fell swoop. I didn't read one paragraph of one thing and kind of go, oh, I think I'm, this is, I'm changing my mind. Um, Brandon and I went through a pretty intense investigation on this idea. And for those of my listeners who are not kind of coming out of the Christian space, you may be like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, and there's still much, 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 um, contention inside the church on, on where does this fit? What, what about our friends and neighbors who are LGBTQ and, um, what, what does this, what does this mean scripturally and what does it mean theologically and, and how, how does this fit into like the structure of church and a faith community and, um, just as a, still a, a pretty intense conversation around this. And so, um, we, we, this is not really a question I'd ever asked that I didn't have that growing up. Nobody was asking this. We, this was just not a topic of conversation ever. I don't, I, I honestly don't ever remember hearing anything one way or another, um, it, it, from a preacher or a leader or a pastor. I just don't remember any of it. So, um, this was an adult question for us, um, for the first time. And, and, um, for us, it became, there was this moment where what I'd heard in my ears as an adult, which is kind of a, you know, a fairly rigid interpretation of what that looks like. And what I was seeing with my eyes did not, did not match anymore. And, um, I saw so much pain and suffering at the intersection of faith and church. Well, really I should say church and church structures faith at large and the LGBTQ community. There was just so much pain and it, it, it couldn't be denied. Um, there was no denying how much sorrow was there and, um, self-harm and broken hearts and broken families, like kids and their parents kicked out of churches and out of leadership. And, um, and then of course, you know, the longer we became, really closely connected to the LGBTQ community, their own personal pain, right. And their own, um, their internal suffering. And so I'm just not a person who can see that much sorrow and be able to just say, well, we must be getting this all right. Something we're getting this right. And this is just a result of it. And so that began our deep dive into asking questions and, um, are, what are the other interpretations out there and what are other, are there other thinkers that have, um, you know, sort of theological differences here around this, um, idea. We learned so much, you guys, it's such a deep dive. Uh, I mean, we, we must've read 
I don't, I don't know, we must have read 25 books, uh, at least, at least, and had 10,000 questions and 10 million conversations. We asked and we asked and we asked and we pushed and, and we, we, we talked to our gay friends and just said, can you tell us your story? Tell us what you heard. Tell us what that did. And, and then what, and what have you learned and tell us about your family and all this just began emerging for us where we came to understand that there is a very um, sound, robust body of work out there um, that absolutely welcomes and affirms our LGBTQ brothers and sisters in a way that doesn't have to skirt around scripture at all, um, but rather just understand it in context. And um, and we really did that heavy lifting. Uh, honestly, I mean, absolutely intensely for two years, but the better part of four. Um, so that was slow. It was slow work. And, um, and came out on the other side with our conscience, absolutely intact, being able to say, we entirely embrace and affirm, um, the LGBT community and, and find their place before God, noble and honorable, as noble and honorable as any of us, um, and still in need of Jesus like the rest of us, but um, beautifully made and needed gifts, absolutely welcomed into the church at all levels, and um, and our lives have been absolutely changed, um, incredibly expansive and. I'm so grateful for what we've learned. I'm so thankful for the people that are in our lives and the path that we have walked and that they walked with us and, um, what a community and what a, what a beautiful place. And we have seen so much healing and so much hope and so much joy and restoration. And, um, and this has just been some of our, the greatest work of our adult lives. I do not have any plans to write a book on the topic. I'm no expert here. I'm just a girl. Um, and, and I'm not sure that just another straight person needs to write a book on it. Um, there are so many beautiful offerings out there from, um, the LGBTQ community, deeply faithful people whose work is, um, intelligent and academic, even very grounded in research and scripture. And, um, and it's fabulous. I'll put it, I'll put together a list of some of the books that we loved the most and we'll send it on over to the transcript at jenhatmaker.com. Thanks for your question, Lori. Um, here is a call in question from Yvonne. Hi, this is Yvonne from Pittsburgh. I would love to know which writers have inspired you the most. Great question. And there is a long list, long of writers whose work inspires me because I kind of draw from different genres. I'm not really just one thing. You know, I, I, I'm not just a humor writer. I'm not just a memoir writer. I've kind of done all that. Like I, I've written studies and I've written essay type books and, um, anyway, I'm kind of all over the place. So I, I draw from all over the place. Some of my best um, mentors in literature are satire writers, um, that, that do this like with a masterful hand, like for example, and I know I've mentioned it before, but I mean, I can't, there's no other way to just keep saying it, but like David Sedaris is a literary hero. He's just unmatched. I mean, nobody can do what he does. He is a very rare special talent, um, who can write, satire in such a way that is also tender 
absurd, self-effacing. I mean, David Sedaris is a treasure. I, I learned so much from Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott was a really important um, influence on me because I started reading her writing and she's a, she's a Christian essayist. I guess that's a right way to put it, but incredibly progressive Christian who writes in a, in a manner that I had never read. I did not know that, um, Christian writers could be so salty. I didn't know that they could ask such hard questions. I didn't, I did not know we had permission to ever operate in the way that Anne Lamott operates, both in the written word and even life. And so reading Anne Lamott for the first time was, uh, monumental to me, um, because she's such a great writer. I mean, there, again, she's in her own category. There isn't a writer who matches her style. She's got, she just carved out her own lane in a world of same, 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 same. She didn't care if anybody was giving her permission or not. And I, I, to this day that inspires me. Um, I pull from her so often just, um, that the best thing we can do is show up, show up to the work truthful as you are, how you are, um, without the, this weird pressure to emulate anybody else or any genre or what's already been done, but rather, um, who you are. Anyway, she is, she is really, really important to me. I, I can't overstate that enough. Um, I really love memoirist in general. Um, I'm also really inspired lately. I mean, I know I can just get in line. I'm really inspired by Brene Brown's work for the last few years. It has been important to my emotional and spiritual development. Um, so I'm inspired by her work. I'm inspired by her research. I'm, I'm, I'm so inspired by what she has taught us and how she is opening up this national dialogue on shame and vulnerability um, in just a way that I've never seen anybody else manage. I, I just, she's really important to our generation and really important to me. Um, she's, she's laid some paver stones for me in my work um, that is now allowing me to sit at my laptop right now and write the truest book I've ever written. And that is in large part due to some of the things she's taught me, um, what it means to brave the wilderness, for example, and, um, dare greatly and all those amazing things that she teaches us. And so she is, she's so phenomenal. Um, I love my friend Kelly Corrigan. You guys know this. I know you're so bored. You're like enough, Jen. Um, you know, we just, I recently, she was recently on the podcast in this series uh, at a live recording that we did at my house, but she's also a memoirist who, I don't know how to capture it in a bottle, but she gives, she, she shows me what's possible somewhere with this, like, um, she's so genuine. (laughs) She tells the truth so in such a raw manner, I almost can't believe it. Like, Oh, we all think that like, I absolutely think that. And you've just put it on a page. And a lot of that's to her own, like she's showing her own cards. Like this is, this is a gross thing that I have inside my own head. And I'm like, Oh, me too. (laughs) So she makes me a little bit braver as a writer. And plus her writing is so beautifully gorgeous. I mean, so fantastically gorgeous. She is, she's a writer's writer. And, um, I read her writing with like this mix of pleasure and envy. (laughs) Um, and I love my friend, Austin Channing Brown. She 
she inspires me too. She is very um, prophetic in nature, and and her her first book is just it's so important to the dialogue we are having around um, racism and white supremacy and dignity. And she's a teacher to me. Um, I appreciate her courage and the way in which she hosts and leads and then also pushes this conversation is it's something special. She's got something special and uh, her writing moves me. And so that's like, that's worth noting when you're, when you're reading somebody and you are moved by what they are saying, you, it is, it is pushing you to think new thoughts or to open up a new conversation or to consider a new perspective. Like that is good writing. That is good thinking. Um, and Austin, um, absolutely does that for me. Her latest book is called, or her first book, actually, it's called I'm Still Here. I actually interviewed Austin in a, on a previous series and you should listen because it's a fabulous interview. Um, she's just a wonderful person. So those are some of my best, some of my favorites. Um, I, I could, I could literally list 100 and that's not a joke. So I better just stop there. Thank you for your question, Yvonne. Um, listen, everybody, thank you so much for your amazing, thoughtful questions. I love hearing from you. Like I love you and I love hearing from you. Um, thank you for listening to our book series. I was so proud of you during the series. So proud of you for being such avid readers, for reading great writers. Thank you for being smart readers, um, for being wise and curious yourself. Um, I just, you are the best. So since I asked every one of our guests, these wrap up questions around these books, I'll give you my thoughts on these. So we asked, what's the first book that you ever read that you distinctly remember having a major impact on you? And for me, it was the secret garden. Um, I just, I, I was so lost inside of it absolutely lost. I, I joke you not, I have probably read that book 50 times. So, um, that is when I was like, Oh, a book can transport you. It can create a whole new world for you. It can give you characters that will become absolutely beloved and, um, it can change you. So the secret garden, another question we asked, what's one book in your life that you have read over and over again. Uh, I'm a rereader. I don't know if you know that about me. I, um, I like to read books a thousand times. Um, probably the one that I could reach for on any given day. I don't even care if I read it last month and still be utterly delighted in it. Like it's the first time I read it is, um, me talk pretty one day by David Sedaris. I have pages in that book where they're wrinkled because I cried laughter tears onto the page, specifically the title essay, me talk pretty one day when he was learning another language in another country with other, um, with other classmates. I, I I am not sure I have ever laughed that hard at any single paragraph. And so, um, that is one that I will reread until I'm dead. Finally, we saved this call in question for the last because it sort of encapsulates the essence of our very favorite Barbara Brown Taylor question that we always ask, which is what's saving your life right now with a bit of a twist. So this one is from Lene. Hi, Jen. This is Lene from St. Paul, Minnesota. My question for you is, actually, I have to say I'm doing a project on resilience. And I wonder for you how you define resilience and if there is one or two particular strategies that you employ regularly 
to sustain your own sense of resilience. Thanks, Jen. What a beautiful thing to ask, um, Lene. What a what a wonderful sense of like internal knowledge um, to prioritize and put such a value on resilience, which we need greatly right now. We just need it greatly. Like, how would I define it? Um, I'm not sure if this is technical enough or if this is a good definition, but um, to me, resilience is this very, this internal strength where you know who you are, um, you know whose you are, you know how you were created and what you were created for. And that sense, that is that anchor is so strong and it's so rooted that really no matter the wind or the waves, it holds you fast. And so you are not going to get blown off course by every storm. You are not going to um, find yourself drifting. You are not going to capsize. Um, But rather, even in the storm, which is hard and scary, and it will wobble you around a little bit, you know, at the end of it, you're still there. Um, You're still afloat. Um, In fact, you're still sailing. And so um, I've had to learn this in my life. And I do have a couple of strategies, um, to sustain resilience. Um, the first one, I, I, I promise you, I I could not possibly mean this more sincerely. And I, I hope it does not sound trite, um, because it's a really easy reach answer, but I mean it in the most genuine way. Um, I do just have, this reset button in which when I am just prayerful, that's just it. When I pray and when I can just shut it all down and sit in the rocking chair and pray and talk to God and sometimes just sit quietly with him also, which to me counts. Um, when I'm looking at the earth and the trees and the grass and, um, that helps me. It does. It, it makes me stronger and it reminds me who I belong to. And it reminds me what I'm doing here. And, um, something about a supernatural, I do not have the first idea how prayer works. I mean, I am, I am the worst person to ask, how does this all work? I don't know, but I will tell you that that develops in me a strength and a courage to keep going when everything feels really loud and scary. Like that is a thing that helps me. And then Uh, I don't mean to be a broken record about this, but my little in real life community. So my best friends who have been my best friends for a long time. So these are not new people. You know, these are, they've been around long before Jen Hatmaker had a podcast or whatever the heck, um, are my steady eddies. (laughs) They, I just make everything okay. And, between my best friends and my, my family, and we all live here in Austin, that is my crew. I mean, that is my crew. And I mean this sincerely. If everything else in my life went away, if I lost it all, if it all slipped through my fingers or got taken away, as long as I still had my people, if I still had my family and my friends and I could still sit on a porch and pray to God, I would be fine. 
I really would. That's what matters to me. It's what holds me fast. They remind me who I am. You know, when I get really loud voices in my head calling me names or doing all that crazy and it's confusing and disorienting, it's my people that are like, that is a lie. Um, also we don't have to talk about all the time. Maybe let's just watch TV. Maybe let's just watch football. Let's grill. Um, so real people in my life, absolutely steady the waves for me. Um, and so that's it. Thank you for your great questions. And you guys, thank you for being amazing listeners and readers and friends to me. That's what you are. And you have been for a long time and I will forever be grateful for you. And I want, I, my plan is just to serve you until I'm just, I guess in the casket. That's my plan. I don't, I don't have a stop date. Um, I, I love you and I want to build what we have and I want to serve you well. And, um, I think we, our capacity to do good to one another and for one another and in this world is endless, endless. I just knows no bounds. And so being a part of this community with you is one of the greatest joys of my life. And so thank you for your questions. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this podcast community. And, um, I just, I love you dearly. You are not going to want to miss next week. Next week, we open up a whole new series. Are you ready for this? For the love of TV. <laughs> also one of our shared values you guys do not act like it isn't and wait until you see our lineup you are gonna be tickled and we are gonna have a blast so i will see you next week for the beginning of for the love of tv until then thank you for being amazing readers i love you bye guys We're back for another segment of Jen's Favorite Things. So this is the part of the show where I share about some wonderful companies that are producing amazing products and giving back to charitable organizations and really worthy nonprofits. Plus, they have exclusive discounts and extras just for you, our podcast listeners. So here are today's favorites. Calling all makers and creatives. Jennifer Allwood can show you how to turn your creative hobby into a booming business. Jennifer has an online coaching group called the Creator's Inner Circle, and she has reserved spots just for you, my For the Love listeners. Visit creatorsinnercircle.com slash Jen Hatmaker to learn more. Raise your hand if you'd like a cozy and inviting home with less stuff. Michaelin Smith, you may know her as The Nester on social media, is the queen of cozy. Her new book, Cozy Minimalist Home, has so many practical ways to transform your home into a cozy, livable space. So head on over to Amazon or wherever you get your books and pre-order Cozy Minimalist Home today. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.